0: And the reason I say that, you know, sometimes if you're a and you come to church for the first time, they go, I knew it. They always talk about money. Uh, the reality is, I asked uh, one of our uh, guys in our morning service, I said, now you've been here for how long? He said, 10 years. How many times have I spoken on this topic? He said, three times. So he kept track. So uh, this is not my normal element. But as I'm going to share today, this is not just about giving. What I'm going to share today is God's wisdom regarding finances and how you and I can actually get a handle on our finances. I'm going to talk about our attitude and some of the ways that you and I can actually uh, experience uh, great understanding and joy and what God intended. And rather than you know what's happening in many of our lives is the culture shaping the way we think and spend and all the rest of it. And so many people are so much in debt today. I'm going to talk about God's vantage point. I think we're going to learn a lot today as we look through the wisdom literature. So let's pray today that God will open our hearts and that we're here to learn. This is you know this is probably the most teaching I'm going to do in the sermons. So I'm here to help you learn God's perspective on finances. So Father, I pray today that you will do a miracle in our life and I pray that this will come across in such a way that we will be learning and understanding your, your concepts regarding finances. And rather than you know, being uptight about it and it's being a, a frustration to us and maybe we got bondage issues in our lives because we're in debt or whatever, Father, I pray tonight that we will gain insight wisdom understanding I pray father that you will help me communicate your attitude and mine so that we will embrace it and come to a new realization of what you intend for our lives and we thank you for that father I pray that we'll leave this place experiencing amazing understanding and freedom in Jesus name and God's people said amen amen Amen. you may be seated So, you know, I was doing a little bit of thinking, and I just thought, you know, how often do we end up compromising our faith over financial issues? It's really interesting. You know, we don't think about it this way, but we're often tempted to cut corners where money is concerned without realizing that those decisions are affecting us. You see, when we don't handle finances right, we're the ones that are the losers. And I think it's important that we start grasping this thing. And I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, uh, one of the executives for McDonald's, I'm talking about the Golden Arches, you know, uh, he, he basically, you know, was attending church, and somebody asked him about his faith in God, and this is what he said. He says, when I go to work on Monday mornings, my priorities are hamburgers, family, and God, and in that order. So what, what was he really saying He says when it comes to business, his family and God take the back seat. And so I I just kind of basically said this. What he's really saying is that his business world will not be shaped by either faith or family considerations. Now you see, when we do that, what we're doing is we're compartmentalizing. And that's when Christianity has really no impact in our lives. The idea when we receive Christ as Lord in our lives, Jesus wants to be Lord in every aspect of our lives, from our thought life, to our relational life, to our emotional life, to the way we treat people when we're at school or at work or wherever we're moving in society, that we are representatives. We are actually ambassadors for Christ and how we relate to people, especially in this area of finances is very critical. We have to have the right attitude. So, um, is really that a biblical perspective of how we should conduct business? And what is our attitude towards money? And what does God have to say about it? Now, it may surprise some of us that the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. So I've been a little negligent in talking about this because, you know, so often we get sensitive about this area, but uh, Korean pastor Kyun Han said, Jesus spoke more about money than he did any other subject. Now, I don't know if he did or he didn't, because I'm gonna quote here Randall Peterson, who says, whether you agree with this observation or not, Jesus did devote much attention to worldly goods and money that may at first seem surprising when we consider how unattached he was by the lure of it. In other words, Jesus himself lived a very simple life. You know, he wasn't hung up on acquiring and all the rest of it, but he did have a lot to say about it. Now, let's go back and remind ourselves something. Jesus is actually God in the flesh. He's dealing with this issue because it's such a significant issue in our lives, and it creates a lot of anxieties within us. And I think the reason being is because, uh, well, we we developed the wrong attitude towards it. And I want to take a look tonight at three vital attitudes. That we need to have towards finances. Notice I didn't say our finances because that's one of the problems. Actually, everything you have belongs to God. So we need to get the right attitude about finances. And first of all, maybe it's authority in our lives. And what I mean by that is simply this Is money our master or our servant? That's a whole dynamic, because for some people, it seems like we're driven to acquire money while other people just use it as a tool to further other elements in their lives. So the question I'm basically saying is, what priority do we place on finances? Are we putting our confidence in what we possess, or are we putting our confidence in the God who possesses everything? You know, the issue of wealth can be distilled down to two powerful issues. You see, when we think about money, That's just representing something. And I want to look deep down inside what really it's all about. It actually is addressing these two significant issues called security and significance. You see, a lot of us, we struggle with the fact that we feel insecure. We don't know if we can make it through this life because everything seems to cost so much. And then a lot of people get so consumed with acquiring things because for them it's an issue of this is who I am. This is creating a a level of significance in their lives. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 3. I already talked about the first two chapters. Now we're in chapter 3. And probably one of the most interesting and most exciting and probably the one verse that many of us maybe have even memorized because it's so encouraging. He starts out by saying in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And then it says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, how many of you, you know this verse? How many have heard this verse before? Is this one of your favorite verses? Isn't a great verse? Do you know the context of this verse? Because in verse 9, he's going to start talking about giving. It's interesting. This is a context that really speaks of finances. He's going to speak to us about this element in our lives. Now, I think many people in life put their security in money. You know, that's just the way it is. That's where their focus is. And it's kind of interesting. Jesus is kind of challenging us that money is, the Bible teaches money has a sense of security to it. Okay, so the Bible doesn't deny that. Ecclesiastes says there's security in having money. But it's not the ultimate security. And the reason it's not the ultimate security is because at any moment we can lose all our money. And when that happens, if that's your ultimate security, you're in big time trouble. And that's exactly what happened in 1929 when the Wall Street uh, uh, Wall Street The the market, the financial market crashed, and people whose lives were totally wrapped up in finding significance and security and money could not cope with that, and many of them just threw themselves out of their office windows and committed suicide because they could not foresee living life without having that kind of security. The ultimate security in life is based on a relationship with Christ so that even if you lost everything you had, you still have him. And what you need to do is understand why this is so critical. God in his mercy will always take away those things in our lives that we build a false trust in. And money is one of those areas that we develop a deep confidence in. And if that's where we're placing our trust rather than in God, God is going to begin to deal with that area in our lives. As a matter of fact, to look for security or significance than anything other than in God ultimately is actually fashioning an idol. And that's why Jesus said it's impossible to serve God and to serve money at the same time. Now, take a look how Paul frames the issue in the book of Colossians. He says it this way. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, I've got to stop and ask. First of all, the earthly nature is our sin-filled nature. And he says, put to death. Who's responsible, then, to address this problem in our lives? Put to death. That sounds like an imperative to me. That sounds like God is saying to us, listen, I've given you my spirit. I want you to obey me in this. I want you to not uh, allow this to control your lives. I want you to address these issues. Now he names them here. It says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, notice I highlighted, uh, underlined it. It's not underlined in your Bible, but I'm trying to make a point here. Greed, which is idolatry. So, you know, when we're at that stage in life where we just feel like we never have enough and that we're always looking for more, that that becomes an idol in our lives and we're to put to death those things. Now, it's interesting in the Bible. The Bible never negatively speaks about wealth. never does that. But it does speak negatively about people who put their trust in wealth. That's what the Bible calls the rich man. And Jesus, in a parable, stated it this way. The ground of a certain rich man yielded a good crop. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Almost sounds like some retirement plan, doesn't it? You know, just pointing that out. I think there's some parallelism here. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? In other words, you had a great plan, you prepared for all this stuff, but you're not going to enjoy it. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So what is he really saying here? He's saying this, Jesus is not you know, condemning this man for his prudence in planning ahead. That's not what he's doing here, okay? And we're going to find out from the book of Proverbs that it's actually wise to plan ahead, okay? But in Jesus' summary statement, what he's saying is that this wrong thinking of enriching ourselves at the expense and neglect of our spiritual growth and development towards God is ungodly. He's trying to tell us the priorities are wrong. As a matter of fact, what we need to be doing is seeking God's kingdom first. That's the most important thing. And then he says the rest of these things will be added in our life. So I think what's happening here is that the reality is that this person is not planning far enough in advance. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, how many know that if you're saving up for retirement, that's a, short period of win- that's a shorter window, right? Let me ask you a question. How much more time are you going to spend in eternity than in retirement? I just got to ask that question. And what's the, what's the obvious answer? You're going to spend a lot more time in eternity, but yet some of us spend so much time fixated on a short block of time and you know, saving up for it. And I'm going to share that. That's probably a wise thing to do. I'm not going to negate that. I think we should do that, and I think Proverbs teaches that. But the problem is we don't just stop there. We need to think Bigger than that. So what I'm trying to do tonight is give you the eternal perspective and say what maybe I should be doing with these finances is I'm not only just investing in the moment, I'm also investing in my future, but I'm also investing in eternity. I'm stretching you out a little bit in your thinking. And I think Jesus wants us to understand it that way. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that the rich think a certain way. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine in a wall too high to scale. What is it saying is that they feel like if I have so much money, nobody can really get to me. Nobody can really touch me. You know how how crazy that thought is? Because there comes times in life, you know, that we could lose everything we have. See, I think we just assume that life will always be the way it is. And yet when we study history, that's not true. We see times in history where people have gone through great upheavals and great changes. You know, wars change things. You know, financial uh, insolvency in, 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 a, in an individual life changes things. I could say that financial insolvency in nations change things. And I'm going to give you a classic example. You know, I just was reading this week, because we have missionaries in South America, and they said, in Argentina today, the rate of inflation is 34%. Now, do you understand what that actually means? Well, let me give you a little picture It means that within a year from now, everything that you're trying to purchase is 34% more. The cost of living moved up 34% and maybe your rate of employment or your rate of uh, of, uh, earnings doesn't flow to that same degree and all of a sudden, you're in a crisis situation. How many can see that? So the people in Argentina right now are in severe crisis. But let me paint a different picture so you get a little deeper sense of nations who have difficulty. A number of years ago, I was in Greece. And Greece today has terrible problems. And you say, why do they have so many problems? You know, because so many people are just trusting that the government will provide everything they need but the nation itself is in, is in insolvency. They have no money. They can't do anything. And when a nation gets to that stage, they have to go to the International Monetary Fund, right? How many know that? And they have to get money. But the problem is, when you're in that weakened condition, they set the terms for the money they're going to lend to you. And they don't set it favorable to the country. All of a sudden, they told the Greek people, the government, we're going to put your whole country on an astringency policy that we're going to get rid of many of your social programs. And the people Began to suffer. Now, before that, they were enjoying life at a certain level, but now all of a sudden they don't have it. And you know what had happened in that country? They started rioting. That was the response of the people. I was actually there when they were doing that. There was all kinds of riots happening in Athens when I was there at that time. Really a sad situation. Now, why do you bring all this up? Because people today are looking and living as if riches are their security. And they often, when they have them, live a life independently of God. You know, I've studied the scriptures and I've noticed Moses, we start in the, you know, as they're leading out of captivity. What did he warn them? He said, now listen, when you finally get into the promised land and God prospers you, don't forget God. It seems that affluence is one of the key ways that people become independent from God. And the nation of Canada is a classic example. We have had unmitigated prosperity for so long that we just assume it's going to continue to happen and we've forgotten who the one is that gives us these things. God is the blesser and we get fixated on the blessings and eventually we forget the one who brings these amazing blessings into our lives. That's very interesting But you know, the psalmist reminds us that money alone cannot ultimately save us from our ultimate enemy. In Psalm 49, it says this, hear this all you people, listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. In other words, all the money in the world can't save you, that's what he's telling us. The ransom for our life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. So what is he saying? That you and I, money can't buy us out of debt, out of death. That's what he's telling us. You know, you can have all the money in the world, but if somebody comes along and says you only have so many days to live, all the money in the world isn't going to be able to save you at that moment. And that's what we need to understand. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. But God will redeem me from the realm of dead, Of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. That is so powerful. What is he saying is that, in a sense, death is universal to the human condition, but God is the one who can move us past the realm and dominion of death. I spoke on that last week and bring us into the kingdom of life and that you and I can spend eternity with God Almighty. Now, money is actually neutral in the Bible. I know this is interesting. You know, some people think it's bad. I'm going, no, it's neutral. It's our attitude that's the real issue. It's what we're putting our trust in. It's how we're utilizing what God is bringing into our lives. And the Proverbs, there is actually a prayer in Proverbs. This is the only prayer in Proverbs. And I think it's a fascinating prayer, and it's found in chapter 30, and it goes like this. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, and do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, I think most of us—this is how we want to operate in life. Lord, could you give me my daily sustenance? Right, I mean my my entire lifetime of bread right now. Isn't that kind of what we want? We want to make sure we have enough. God says, "No, I'm not." That doesn't teach you how to live by faith. (coughs) Excuse me. As a matter of fact. When they were collecting manna in the wilderness, God says, listen, when you go out on the sixth day, collect twice as much because you don't have, I don't want you working on the seventh day. And God, and nothing happened to the manna. But then the, the day, some people went out there and started collecting on the seventh day and it turned all to maggots. <coughs> so why am I saying all of that? God is trying to teach us. And in the Lord's prayer, we learn it: give us this day our what? Daily bread. Our daily bread. So what God is saying is, I'm committed to you as a father to provide for your every need. And yet, I'm only going to do this on a daily basis. So what has to happen is you and I have to start living by faith. We have to learn to trust God. But a lot of us say, Lord, could you give me my lifetime allotment right now so I can feel secure? Because when we say that in our minds, what we're basically saying is, I I want the security of having these earthly things so I really don't have to trust you. You see what's going on here. So God is trying to teach us something that he will provide. Now, how many here, when you were a little child, you were really fretting about how food was going to come your way? You were really uptight about that. Well, for most of us, we didn't think about it. That was our parents' anxiety. How many say that's true? Now, you and I are a child of God. We should say to ourselves, hey, I need to start thinking like a child in some ways and say, I'm going to stop being anxious about this stuff and let my Father in Heaven have the concern about that. He's going to take care of me. He's promised to do that, and I'm going to make a guarantee to you. I've been a Christian for 41 years. I'm a little older now. I can honestly say like David, I was once young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. God is a faithful father, and we don't have to worry about it. Now, you think about it. You know, he goes on to say, Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Affluence tends to keep people from God. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. That's the other side of it. You know, I don't have enough and now I'm doing illegal, immoral, and all kinds of crazy things to to survive. You know, I think this is kind of a unique proverb, isn't it? It's an interesting prayer. Lord, I don't want to have too much, but I don't want to have too little. I want to be honoring to you in my entire life. So then the question is, how much is enough? And if you ask a rich person, they'll always tell you just a little bit more. Because you see, we have this thinking in our mind that if we just had a little bit more, we, you know, we, we could relax a little bit. You know, We wouldn't have to worry about it. We wouldn't have to be anxious about money, but I've already said, Jesus is saying this. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. You see... That's how non-believers think. They're focused on that which they see. They've become materialistic in many ways. But your heavenly Father knows you need them. So it's not like God's going, well, you know what, you can do it without anything. No, no, he says, no, I'll make sure you get them. What Jesus is trying to get across is the right priority. And here it comes. But seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I love this. This is my life verse. This is how I've tried to keep my life in perspective right here. This verse. Put God first. Do what he wants you to do and don't worry about that rest of that stuff. He'll take care of that. He's our father. And then it says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So I'm totally convinced whatever I need for today, God's grace will be there and what i need for tomorrow you know what i'm what i'm about to do in germany i believe god's grace will be there when i go to india god's grace will be there i just believe that god will be with me every single day meeting the need as it arises i don't have to live in worry so does this mean we don't have financial goals and plans no it means we don't worry about those things you know if i could sit down with young people i would say to them listen this is what we need to learn because we're living in a culture today That advertisement is so powerful. Do you guys realize we're bombarded with advertisement at such a high level today? It's so affected our thinking, we don't even realize it. You know, it's almost subliminal sometimes. There's so much coming at us, we don't even think about it. But here's, here's the messaging in advertisement. You need something you don't need because if you have this, it will make you content. See, the, the goal of advertisement is to make you dissatisfied with where you currently at, and if you buy this product, you'll be happy. How many know that's a lie? How many know that's not the secret of contentment at all? How many here would say, man, I, if I could just be content, can I tell you the secret of contentment? How many want to hear the secret of contentment? Anybody want to hear the secret of contentment? Here it comes. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Okay, Paul, tell us what the secret is. He says, even when I have been abased and even when I have abounded. In other words, when I've had little or I've had much, I've learned the secret of contentment. Paul, tell me what the secret is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 That verse is actually answering the question of contentment. What is he saying? Christ is the one who makes me content. Wow. So I need to understand it. Jesus will give me what I need when I need it. And I'll get back to that in a moment because I had to learn this the hard way. I had to learn that secret. So... Proverbs actually addresses the need for forethought and planning. This is gonna surprise some of us because some of us in this room goes, well, then I won't worry about anything. Well, no, Proverbs says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That's a very interesting proverb. So what is he actually saying there? He's saying most people, when they don't have money, want to get rich quick. How many know that's true? And there's so many get-rich-quick schemes and usually at your expense, That's how it works. So what is it saying here? It says, when you and I go out to work, we get paid. We get a remuneration. We get a little bit. But what happens so often is we have to learn certain things in life. One of the things God wants us to learn is that when we're full of the Spirit of God, we learn self-control. How many think self-control is the result of God's Spirit at work in our lives? So one of the ways you learn self-control is you don't spend all you have right off the bat. And people who are highly successful in life understand, you know, how they don't have to self-gratificate immediately. They have deferred gratification built into their system. Those are the successful people. They've done studies on this. Kids who you tell to them, listen, we're going to come into the room right now. I'm going to give you one candy. If you don't eat this candy for the next 10 minutes, I will come in with three more. Do you know what happens in that room? Most of the kids eat the candy. And there's one or two kids, and they just hold out, and then somebody walks in, and they get three or four more candies. Already we know from that experiment, those are the kids, when they've tracked them years later, have been successful in life because they've learned how to control themselves. It's very powerful, self-control. It's actually the work of the Spirit in their lives. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You know. So what you need to do, and I've said this to people, look, it's real simple. Some of you maybe have never had anybody sit down and talk to you. You have to live on what you are earning. In today's society, most Canadians are spending more than they're earning. Do you guys realize that? How many know that's true? We're actually living above our means. And so what that means is we've been given credit, and so we're living on credit, and pretty soon all we're doing is making the payment on the interest. How many think that's a problem? Because you know, a lot of people, they go, I'm not gonna even worry about it, because if I can't make it, I'll just file bankruptcy. How many know that's an ungodly tactic? Because actually what you're doing is violating and hurting other people in the process. So what we have to learn how to do is live within our means. And I always say to people, listen, here's the strategy, and you can write this down. And some of you that are younger and some of you that are older, maybe you've never learned this, you take the 100%, whatever it is that you're making, you actually give the first 10%. We'll get back to that. You save 10% and you start learning to live on the 80%. You start living within that element. And what begins to happen, is very interesting, two things start happening. Number one, you develop self-control. And number two, God starts blessing you because you're actually honoring him By doing things he wants you to do. Because let me ask you a question. If all of the resources that you're getting is from God and you can't manage it, why would God give you more? Question mark. See, God is actually testing you with what you have. And if you can't handle what you've got, why would he give you more to handle? You're already making a mess of it. You'll just get in a bigger mess. That's exactly what happens to people. They just get in bigger messes. So we have to learn how to handle these things. You know, and I've already said this. One of the traps of life is living above our our livelihood. Money is a tool to teach us discipline. That's what it is. But we don't see it that way. So we need to see that God is using this in our lives as a tool. We're either going to learn to trust God or we're going to just do our own thing. Here's the other thing. Can you imagine what happens when you learn? How many think God wants you to learn to be patient? Does Does anybody understand that? Patience is an important virtue. Does anybody get that? When you learn patience, it's powerful because you treat people differently. But also when you learn patience with your finances, you don't have to get everything. And a lot of times what you find out, you didn't need it anyways. You know, I actually, and I I had to learn this the hard way. Most of us in this room, if you have a house and you have a garage, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's been sitting in that garage and you haven't messed with it for a long time. It just goes to show you, you don't need as much as you think. It's the truth. Let me, let me. oh, I'll say this. You know, when I was a younger person, this beast rose up within my own soul and needed to be slain. What's beast? Not content with what I have. Some of you don't have that beast, but I had that beast. And from time to time, you need to tame it, okay? And I remember one time, I'm on a vacation. Most people don't even get those, but I was on a vacation complaining to God with my lot in life, and God was starting to really deal with me. And you say, how does God deal with you, Pastor? Usually because I'm a daily Bible reader, I'm reading a text of Scripture, God starts speaking me through the text of Scripture. And he really, he really told me in no uncertain terms that I was out to lunch and that I needed to be, stop whining and complaining about my lot in life because I was reading it, your lot is good. And God was rebuking me from the Scripture and basically saying, you have exactly what you need to make life good for you. If you needed more, I would give it to you. I'm your father. So if you don't have it, you don't need it. At least not at this moment you don't. Novel thought. And so a lot of us are walking around unhappy with what we do not have, when in reality, those things aren't going to make you happy, folks. It's getting quiet in here. Let me move on to the second point. You know... How do we acquire finances? It's really important. In other words, how do we go about getting or earning wealth? How are we going about, uh, I mean, for what purpose are we even acquiring these things? Well, I want to pass them on to my kids. Do you know how many kids have been wrecked because their parents gave them too much? We can go into that whole area. Sometimes we do too much for our kids. It's getting real quiet now. you got to teach them to take on responsibility and learn how hard it is to get forward in life. Those are all good lessons for them. Some of you are pampering your kids far too much, and you're actually ruining them. It's getting quieter. It's even getting more quiet. I'm really meddling tonight. Let me just continue on here with Proverbs a little bit. Listen to what it says. Those who seek me, this is wisdom speaking, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity, My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. He's making a comparison. You see the analogy. He says, if you get wisdom, this is even better than getting money. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. In other words, I do the right things. Do you know doing the right things in life is the most important thing? Because it's actually building your character. And you become a different person when you do the right things. And I tried to bring this out to you a few weeks ago that your emotions eventually follow making the right behavioral choices. Bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. God says, look, I can take care of all this stuff. But if that becomes your goal, it's actually diminishing you. When God is your goal, you become enlarged. I believe too many people in our culture have too small of a goal. The goal should be to become like God. That will enlarge your life. Now, we need to remember that money can put food on the table, but not fellowship around the table. How many know that's true? You know, money can provide a house, but it takes wisdom to build a home. Money can provide designer clothing, but it takes wisdom to clothe one another in love. What tragedy in our day that people have larger houses but we see more shattered homes. That's the truth. What Proverbs teaches about wealth is that acquired rightly and used properly it's a good thing. So God's not against it. It says the wealth of the wise is their crown but the fool, folly of fools yields folly. Remember that prayer later I just earlier spoke about in Proverbs not wanting to be too rich or too poor. You know People can often engage in unethical activities and jeopardize their soul and sometimes because they don't have enough. As a matter of fact, poor people are often shunned even by their neighbors. A poor man pleads for mercy. So poverty is not a great thing. I'm not suggesting we all should, you know, should all be poor. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible's teaching. You know? So what is it teaching? It's teaching that when we have these resources that we use them correctly. That's what it's teaching us. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. The blessing of the Lord actually brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. So let me move on to the third attitude we need to have. It's how we put it into action. So we're going to talk about the real practical. How do we acquire the wisdom to acquire the wealth and to manage what God's entrusted to us in the right way? How many think that's kind of important? If, if I start doing what God wants me to do, God starts blessing me financially, I need to actually know what to do with this stuff because you know for a lot of people, it ruins them. Does anybody know that? It can really ruin you if you don't know how to manage it. So how am I, how am I using it? How are you gonna use it? Well, first of all, it starts by honoring God with the resources he's blessed us with. So I ask the first question, do I honor God with my resources? You say, how do I do that? Well, here it is, Verse nine. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Now, this is an agricultural society. What's a first fruit? Anybody know? It's the, first, it's the first part of your crop. So if I'm an apple orchard grower and I have 10 apples, I go, oh, rotten apple. I guess I'm giving this one to God because it's, you know, it's not gonna, <laughs> he won't mind. I mean, you know, he can handle that. No, Malachi talked about that. We don't give God our leftovers. We give God the best. We look over the 10 apples and go, this is the best one. God, this one I'm giving to you. Why? That honors God. Okay, here's the thing. first fruits. it kind of has a clue there. It's the first apple I give is to God. You know, so many people say to me, you know, pastor, I can't afford to tithe. You know what I say to them? You can't afford not to. Because when you don't, learn to trust God, who are you trusting? Thank you yourself. Do you think you're smarter than God? Do you think you're better than God? Do you think you can handle all that's going around you? I don't think so. So I just go, okay God, I'm just going to give you the best in the first part. I'm just going to trust you. And God loves it when we trust him. How many have figured out God is trying to teach us how to trust him? Does anybody know that? That's the whole Christian journey. Learning how to trust God. Now, Second, okay, well, let me just say this. He goes, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, God says, if you'll, if you'll do what I ask, I'll bless you. Real simple. Paul says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Some of us go, you know, I never get the breaks. Nothing ever comes my way. You know, I'll tell you something. If you're a generous person, you'll never lack. That's a very interesting statement I just made. You should write that one down generosity brings things your way, you know? If you're a generous person, you give of your time to people, things will come back your way. People will invest back into you. If you're investing into people, they'll invest back into you. I'm teaching you these beautiful principles, guys. Pay attention, this is gonna help you. If you are, you know, afraid to give up anything, and oh, I gotta hang on, I won't have enough, you will never feel like you have enough. But when you have an open hand, you say, you know, I'm going to just walk around. I'm going to help people, bless people. Do you know what happens? It flows back to you. It's really amazing how that works. I'm just pointing that out. It does work this way. Then I notice. secondly, we must acquire wealth through the right means. We can't do things illegally or immorally. Now, it says here, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, when he's talking about death here, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about the death that causes the destruction of relationships. Now, I going to show you something. Why does God get upset? Okay? Here's what God gets upset about. I'm going I'm to list the things that keep people out of God's kingdom. And then I'm going to make a statement, and they're all going to tie together in a moment. Don't get upset, just listen to this very carefully. Paul writes, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yeah, but I believe in Jesus, Pastor. No, no, if you really believe in Jesus, you'll do the right thing. See, you can tell me you believe in Jesus, but if you're doing the wrong thing, I'm going, you don't really believe, folks. You're fooling yourself. That the real measure of true belief is when I do what God's telling me to do because I'm trusting in him and I'm going to see these certain results. Then he goes on to say, do not be deceived. See, we're de- a lot of people are being deceived in our culture today. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves. That's a financial thing. Why does God say that people who steal are actually going to perish? because they're, they're defrauding from other people, okay? Nor the greedy, let me say that one again. Nor the greedy, nor the greedy, because I think so often when we think of people who are perishing in our culture, we always think about you know, sexual promiscuousness or something like that. No, big thing about finances. There's gonna be a lot of people who thought they were gonna make heaven, but because they were greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Let me to read that. We you know what a swindler is? That's a person who takes advantage of people financially. Those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God because it says they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice one thing all those things have in common. This is going to shock you. They all deface, abuse, defraud. They take advantage of people. Do you know what God's about? God's all about relationships, and God loves every single person. And when you and I do things to take advantage of other people, God gets really upset. How many are hearing what I'm saying? You see, that's the problem. You know, it's all about, when I tell God I really love you, God says, yeah, do you? Do you love this person? Do you love that person? Do you love this person? See, the way I treat you is really indicative of my true faith in God. See, what we should be doing is valuing, loving, affirming, encouraging, supporting, helping other people. That's true Christianity. And when we don't do that, when we deface, defame, slander, you know, cheat, lie, you know, people are being hurt. And God goes, that's ticking me off. How's that? Okay, it's getting quiet in here. I know, I just have a knack for this stuff. You know? Each each of these things, each of these areas I wrote destroys relationships. God is deeply concerned that the church has healthy relationships. We must learn to love and serve one another rather than use and abuse each other. And I'll even go further and say it shouldn't just stop in the church. This should be the way I treat everybody. That the person... You know, I said something to somebody the other day. I was actually counseling a couple. You know what I said to them? The Bible says to love your enemies because they weren't liking each other at that point, okay? I said, the Bible says to love your enemies. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How many here in this room, when when God says love your enemies, what, what what are you thinking of? Why, I don't feel it, Pastor. I don't feel any love for that person. They're my enemy. How many can say, I can relate to that? How, anybody, let's be honest, how many can say, that makes total sense? It's really, when Jesus tells me to love my enemies, there's nothing uh, inside of us that says, oh, I just want to run and do that. Right? Come on now. How many say, I feel it, Pastor. I have the emotion. I, I just feel love for that enemy. We're all laughing because we know that that's ludicrous. Actually, he says, how do you love them. Forgive them. Pray for them, do good to them, and bless them. That's how you do it. Well, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like forgiving them. They're jerks. They've done this to me. I, I, you know, they've taken advantage of me. You know, I, I don't want to pray for them and bless them. Are you kidding? They've done so bad to me. But how many understand that when you obey that, regardless of how you feel, do you know what happens to your emotions? This is amazing to me. If you start to do this, what I just said, what the scriptures say, your emotions go, oh, is that what we're doing? The emotions catch up to the actions. You see, when you and I obey God, our emotions follow our actions. Click, click, click. And all of a sudden, we actually love a person who we couldn't stand before. What in the world's gotten wrong with me? I just go, I can't believe I love this person. And you know what? That person's going, wow. Wow. I'm an idiot, look how nice these people are to me. And you make that person feel terrible. They start getting convicted. But when you treat them poorly, they go, yeah, just what I thought, They're, they're, they're nasty anyways. How are we gonna change people? Love them. Okay. When we place finances ahead of people, we're not acquiring wealth wisely. Now, I have a lot more in my notes, and I'm gonna stop because my time is coming to an end, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm actually gonna give you access to the rest of these notes. Anybody interested in that? I'm gonna have my administrative assistant print a bunch of these notes. By next Sunday, even though I'm not here, you can walk up to the, not the guest reception area, but the actual information. stand. be a whole pile of notes there. You can just walk up and grab one, okay? Because I am so convinced that this is designed to help you and me with God and with others. Let's stand. Okay, so with every head bowed right now, I'm not here to, you know, there's no condemnation coming from me. God doesn't even condemn us. You know what he wants to do? He wants to help us get our minds in the right places when it comes to finances. How many think this is kind of an important area in our life? Anybody think that's important? How many say, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. With every head bowed, I struggle with security issues. Just raise your hand. That's where I'm at. I'm struggling with security issues. Okay, good. You guys are so honest. That's beautiful. How many here say, you know what, I struggle with significance issues? You know, I, I feel like, you know, if I have a lot, then, you know, somehow, you know, it makes me feel better and it makes people think of me more highly. I struggle with that. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. How many here say, you know, Pastor, when you're talking about giving, something inside of me almost chokes. I'm so afraid to do that. I'm so afraid I won't have enough. Actually, I'm realizing I'm actually putting my trust in what I have rather than putting my trust in God. I'm struggling with just obeying God in that area of finances. That's you. Raise your hand. That's you. Just right now. Raise your hand. Just be honest. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to make a little test because Malachi says, and God says this, not me, I'm just telling, I'm passing on what God's saying, okay? He says this, if you will start tithing, God says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven, I'm going to pour a blessing on you, you won't be able to contain it. I've been doing this for over 40 years, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. God's going to take care of you. That's what's going to happen. Do you know during the Great Depression, the 1930s, Oswald J. Smith was the pastor of People's Church in Toronto. Great church, great mission-sending church. Canada sent so many missionaries around the world. It was amazing. Oswald J. Smith had so many people come to his church in the Great Depression because they were financially in need. That makes sense, right? It was a depression. A lot of people were out of work. They needed. So he decided to do a little experiment. And in his experiment, he decided to ask every single person that came for financial assistance, are you a tither? And you know what he found out? that not one person that came for financial assistance was a tither. And you know why? Because God always takes care of people who trust him. And so it wasn't that he was being mean, he just He just you know helped them. I don't know if you know this, our church is very generous. We're constantly giving to the needy in our city. We have needy people come to our church every single week. We're constantly giving food to people. I'm being honest with you, we're doing that all the time. Michaela, you're my witness, isn't that true? They're just streaming in here. But if I was to ask them that question, you'd find out not one of them are tithers because they don't trust God. I'm your pastor. I care about you. I want you to start obeying God. I want you to learn to trust God in this area in your life. I want you to stop worrying. You're his daughter. You're his son. Why is he going to let you down? My goodness. You know, I'm an earthly dad. You think I'm going to let my kids starve? Forget it. If I have it, they're getting it. I would go without. I want you to know God in heaven is a hundred million times better than I am as a father. Why is he going to let you go without? He's going to take care of you. Stop worrying. Don't worry about it. He's your dad. He's going to take care of you. He wants you to learn to trust him. Amen? Okay, let me pray for you. Lord, I want to just thank you tonight. This is a very touchy subject for a lot of people, but you know what? You're a good God. And I pray tonight that our confidence in you will rise, that you will provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we will stop worrying about these things, that we will start obeying, and that we will start responding to you in the right way. I pray today that, Lord, we will find our security in you. We will find our significance in you. We will find our contentment not in the things we're acquiring, but our contentment is coming because we find strength in our relationship with you. That really doing your will and obeying you brings such joy and such happiness in our lives. It overfills us, and we begin to realize that the things we think that makes people happy is not true at all. It's just doing your will. It's knowing that we're doing what you want us to do. It's knowing that we're serving one another and loving and caring for each other.